All right, today I'm sitting down with Will. Um, Will, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody who you are and what you do and where you come from, bud? Hey, man, I appreciate it. My name is William Rollins. I go by Will. Born and raised in Texas, East Texas, just north of Houston. Graduated uh, the same high school my parents graduated from, which is Cleveland High School. I joined the Marine Corps summer of 2001 with the idea that I'd be a diesel mechanic, leave the Marine Corps with some knowledge that could possibly make me some good money and uh, live a good life. And then September 11th happened. And of course, like every other young man at my age, 18, 19 years old, I got motivated and wanted to go to war. Wanted payback for our American citizens that lost their lives that day. And I contacted my recruiter, expressed this to him, and he gave me the, the good old one-liner of something along the lines of, you know, I, I knew you had it in you. I knew, you, you know, you were a war fighter, so just tell me you're going to be an 03, 03 infantryman. And I remember I was like, what's infantryman? He's like, you like shooting machine guns? Hell yeah, who don't like shooting machine guns? He's like, you like throwing grenades? Hell yeah, yeah. He's like, man, you don't shoot rockets? Yeah. He said, you got it. And so he brought me some more paperwork, and I signed some signed some paperwork, and that's how the, the journey of my eight years as a – O three eleven began, so I uh, actually served two thousand two to two thousand ten, and uh, left two thousand ten. Did some contract work around the Indian Ocean, and now I've currently have been a sheriff deputy for the past seven years. Wow! So you've uh, you went through the whole gambit there, man. Yeah, I know, right? And uh, it's it's, it's got its its pros and cons, but you know, it's been a joyful ride or, or at least an in, interesting one to say the least yeah uh i, I uh, also joined as 03 and it'll be a 41 but it's funny how those recruiters that's how they get you right right it's, uh hey you know you want to you want to blow shit up you want to shoot shit yeah. hey, we'll get you in here yeah yeah oh you like baseball yeah, you'll yeah. love throwing grenades yeah exactly they, they try to uh you know relate it to you which i understand but uh getting into it is two completely different things yeah well i guess uh that's why they get paid the big bucks you know <laughs> i guess so well, these days you're a sheriff's deputy huh yes so uh how how did that translate for you you know coming from the marine corps the biggest thing that i've noticed is it's is provided me with the leadership and also confidence to, to be able to do my job I was very, you know, by the time I left the Marine Corps, I saw, I've been a sergeant about four years, was a squad leader for, you know, four or five years. And so the the leadership became not necessarily uh, a habit, but a skill set I learned, which is carried over in law enforcement. I'm now able to, you know, act confident, walk confident, talk confident, you know, especially when it comes to uh, my area of assignment, which I'm currently a, an auto theft detective. And uh, it's it's been able to provide me with a skill set to be able to talk to people, talk to strangers. Um, you know, I've always joked around that I can talk to a fence post for 45 minutes and have a pretty good conversation. That's it. So that that's that's probably the biggest um, contributing factor is the military taught me to interact with other people. You know, you're on deployments. There's definitely a language barrier between. Uh, the Iraq, Iraqi farmer or Afghanistan farmer, and and myself, but we're still able we're still able to communicate to the point to get our, you know, our point across to, toward each other. 
and him not you know understanding a lick of English and me not understanding a lick of the Arabic dialect we were talking. So it's a little bit easier here in the United States and most of the people I deal with speak English or at least speak some English. So it, it certainly helps me communicate with those I'm speaking with or dealing with at the time, depending on the situation we're in. It is tough. It is absolutely tough. Man, that, uh, yeah, you're correct. And that PTSD had really set in on me pretty hard at that point. And I was becoming way too violent with people when I shouldn't have been. Mm, yeah. And that escalated things way too much. So it, it, it took me a while to get where I'm at now, um, within myself and my law enforcement career for, you know, seven years now for at least the first three years, I was a little wild and a little out of control. And I'm, I'm blessed that I had good supervision that kept me out of trouble, or at least when I did get in trouble, you know, they pulled me in their office, chewed my ass and kicked me out the door. And you know, I, I learned a lesson about the same time I became a police officer. I went through a divorce. And so, you know, like, like every other Marine or every other military member, I followed proper protocol and procedure, you know, drinking all the time, partying all the time. And, um, just just being wild, and so I, I'm blessed and, and lucky that I didn't hurt myself, somebody else, or uh, do anything that, that would lead me to get caught to jeopardize my career. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and that was that was me, right? Um, I you know coming out, you know, I had a lot of rage, and and I wasn't hard out to deal with it. I don't think any of us were came out around 2005, 2006. That wasn't wasn't a thing until much later on. Um, you know, personally, I rolled right into raw, raw law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And um, dealing with people, man, um, I'm, I can be a business person pretty well. I, I had, just like you were saying, you know, I could talk to people, I could talk to fence posters, fine. But for some reason, people just find these little buttons for whatever reason and just set me off. And so, um, I would personally escalate situations where, you know, it definitely called for hands-on, sure, but that's all I ever wanted to do was hands-on, even when it was unsafe. Yeah. And I didn't care. I was all about, you know, the rustle and tussle. Who gives a shit? Yeah, uh, I can definitely understand that. And, and uh, that's something you either got to learn to deal with or, you know, like you did, have to find a different career where else you know, you're going to end up in the same cell block that, you know, these guys that you've been picking up for the past X amount of years are in. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not eager to leave law enforcement. I initially got into law enforcement for as a short-term goal because I was doing uh, anti-piracy contracting. So I was riding these vessels anywhere and everywhere that bordered the, the Indian Ocean. You know, so that's Middle East, that's parts of Southeast Asia, that's the whole, or most of the northern border and the whole um, eastern border in Africa. Uh, if it has a port that in the Indian Ocean, I've probably been to it several times. But like I stayed, I started going through the divorce, and so I told myself, I'm going to take two to three years off to trying to get life back in order. My daughter at the time was young. Um, I recently bought a house, you know, and so I was like, I'm going to take a couple years off. And uh, I was bouncing around what I was going to do for a couple years. Um, I know several law enforcement officers 
here locally, and they're like, hey, man, you got to become a cop, you know? You can run fast. You can talk to anybody, and, you know, you're, you have some tactical knowledge. I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds kind of cool. So I used my job bill, went to, you know, the seven-month academy and got hired on, and what went from a two- to three-year idea, push, got pushed back to five years, and now I'm at seven years. So I don't necessarily know if it's something I want to stick through until retirement. I think I'm eligible for retirement in 2032, which isn't that far off, but it's still a, a pretty good number of years away. But uh, I enjoy what I do for now. Um, yeah, so I, well, I'm going to see where it takes me. I'm going I'm to stick it out until I, I no longer enjoy it. So I'm, I'm certainly not eager to leave, but if, if something else presented itself and it benefited myself and my family, then, yeah, who knows, man? Life is wild. It is. Absolutely. Things wild. change, dude. I, I mean, once I got out of the, the whole law enforcement after about a year, I ended up running heavy equipment at a, at a uh, pretty prominent uh, gold mining facility. Really? When I mean heavy equipment, dude, I'm talking 230-ton haul truck. Oh, goodness. That's huge. Yeah, 30, 30-foot-long 30 blazing graders. I mean, you know, the giant Tonka trucks, man. And I did that for two, three years. And, uh, you know, I got divorced after that and moved back to Virginia. Yeah. Um, you know, found a beautiful wife and, you know, got some, got some beautiful kids now. Yeah, I got remarried uh, December of 17, and I married way out of my league this go-around. <laughs> I think she felt bad for me. Uh, you never know. Hey, it works in your favor, though, right? right. I, I joke. I tell everybody I'm a truck guy. I see an old truck in a pasture, and I think to myself, with some time, with some money— with a lot of love, that old junkie truck could be a pretty nice truck. I think she saw me and thought the same thing. A little time, a little love, a little money. That guy can be a pretty good dude. And, you know, I don't think you're too far off on that, man, because I think a lot of women see guys, especially guys coming out of the military, um, I, I think they definitely see us like that. Like It's almost like a project. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's a good thing because we definitely need – you know, our women to, to take care of us, man. Right. Yeah, because we, we got nobody else. Sometimes we don't even have each other. That's a sad thing. Right. Yep. Um, I think having um, a strong home front, having somebody at home that supports and uh, maybe not understands, but can, um, I guess, comprehend what you've gone through and what you're dealing with now and, and pushes you to be a better person pushes you to seek help uh, regardless that help is um, just speaking to friends about what you're battling with or seeking professional help counseling after my you know through my eight years in the marine corps never any counseling or anything and uh you know i was a grunt and uh with the scott sniper platoon and i was in iraq in 04 to 05 07 afghanistan 08 uh, i got hurt in iraq hurt in afghanistan and uh, i'd seen my fair share of what i considered uh you know, hard combat. And I never talked to anybody through my eight years in the Marine Corps, got out, got divorced, didn't talk to anybody, started dating the woman who's my wife now, and I was still being a jackass, still wasn't owning up to um, the problems I created myself. Yes, um, I blamed PTSD on it. I blamed it. I blamed it on depression. I blamed it on the you know, war, you know, on the Marine Corps. But when it come down to it, you know, I was failing as a man myself. So she called me out on it, and she actually uh, she left me, and I said, you know what, 
because she made a comment somewhere along, you know, you need to fix yourself before you, we can fix us. And she's like, so, you know, I'm gonna give you your space. If you want, if you want this to work, you need to fix yourself, and then we can work on us. But you have a daughter. You, you got to be a good man. You got to be a good father. So that's actually why I went to started going to counseling myself. And it, it's, it's certainly awkward sitting in a big, fluffy, worn-out, oversized chair and talking to this you know, chubby guy in front of you with a beard, and he's going to ask you know the most personal questions I've ever been asked before by a stranger within a matter of sitting down in three minutes you know, he's digging but once I once yeah once I opened up man and uh, I actually enjoyed going and talking to him I learned a lot about myself and uh, it, it carried over to um, helping myself to helping my relationship with my girlfriend who's now my wife and I'm a better dad better friend better son I'm, I'm just overall a better person because um I chose or was, was, was pushed into seeking help. That's good, man, because um, I kind of have the same story, right? Like, I didn't, I went through divorce, but when I left, it was almost like a self-check on myself, right? I didn't have any kids with her, which is, which is a good thing. And in that two, three years of solitude, you know, I really learned a lot about myself and how to, how to deal with it. Because before, I never really sat down and tried to deal with it. Uh, I always just, like much like you, much like anybody else, I just blamed everything on it and didn't try to fix it. Um, uh, like a lot of the other guys, I'm not going to sit out and, and go to some therapist and share mm-hmm. my feelings. And, and that, that's not me. But between a lot of my friends that I had, just talking to them on the phone, it actually took a death of one of our friends to bring 10, 15 of us together on a daily basis to talk to each other on an app called Marco Polo. And that right there has been more of a healing tool than anything else. Plus, I mean, you get to get on there, get drunk, get stupid, whatever you want to do, right? But just the fact that I know at the push of a button, I have somebody who is very much relatable to mm-hmm. you have been through this. Absolutely. And they calm you down, they tell you to shut the fuck up, stop acting like a bitch, and you just go upon your way. Yep. And sometimes that's what it takes, is just that self-check. It's not even about, you know, your, your ego or this and that. It's just you need somebody to tell you, even if it's not your loved one. Sometimes your loved one can't do that for you. You just need that, that friend, that guy, who will pull no punches and tell you, stop acting like a bitch, shut the fuck up. Exactly. About uh, two, maybe three years ago, I started using, I was, I was trying to figure out a, a term that I could use to describe the battle out that I dealt with at home. You know, it's easy to say, yeah, I went to war in, you know, Iraq. I went to war in Afghanistan. I saw combat in both. I got wounded in both. But how do you describe what you're what you're dealing with here at home? You know, the word post-traumatic stress or disorder or um, the me that has such a, a negative you know, it's not the word itself that has a, a negative definition behind it. It's the the negative negativity that's associated with it now. Right. Oh, you know, that guy's got P, that guy's got PTSD. You know, don't get around him or or. So I started, I started, uh, or I don't know if I came up with the word or, or started using the word front yard firefight. And so I started telling myself, you know, 
what I dealt with in my front yard firefight. And then I would talk, then I would talk about you know, post-traumatic stress. Well, I wouldn't necessarily use the word disorder. You know, I would talk about uh, depression. And I would also bring up the fact, you know, we're in combat. You know, as soon as that first round cracks, either from our end or their end, we're getting on the radio and we're calling for help. We want the QRF. At minimum, we want a squad of you know, 20 Marines loaded up in the, in the four to five Humvees. And we want them coming to us as fast as they can. We would love to have rotary wing dropping some, you know, 30 millimeter. Um, Captain, yeah, yeah, or you know, or God knows, we would love to get some fixed wing on there. You know, calling the Air Force, calling somebody. Why do we stop relying on that support just because we're home? Because honestly, I think we don't have that same level of support when we're home. Do you think that's it? Um, um, I, I, uh, I know any minute. So my unit, uh, 2-7, we have this. Uh, it's a secret or a private Facebook page just called The Group. Um, if you're not invited or a member of the group, you maybe will find it, but you can't access the page at all to find what's on it. Um, I've seen time and time and time again these you know, fellow Marines of mine will get on there, hey, guys, um, I'm, I'm feeling down right now. Does anybody want to talk? You know what the matter of? 15 minutes there's 175 comments of and phone numbers and emails and uh, these guys just just want to talk to their brothers because they understand the, the pain and struggle they're going through possibly because they've been in that you know they've been in that same bottomless pit themselves mm -hmm. no i've never heard of that group so but um you know add me to that thing man yeah absolutely right, absolutely I've, I've done the same thing i've seen other guys, whether it be, you know, Army, Navy, Marines, whatever, uh, post on Facebook, you know, and they'll have their phone number attached to it. Now, I have an hour drive from my work, so um, I've got no problem reaching out and calling and talking to somebody. Now, sometimes that's all it takes. It doesn't have to be, you know, this big heart-filled, you know, heart sharing your feelings. It's just like, hey, what's up, bro? What you up to? Yeah, yeah what you watch? You watch your TV? Cool, you know. Find some kind of common ground. That's all that. That's all they're looking for. Exactly. For somebody to talk to and relate with. That's it. They just know that somebody's out there. Somebody's willing to listen, and that somebody's going to understand and at least maybe either tell you what you need to hear. You know, you like you said, you're being a bitch. Shut the fuck up. Man up. Fix yourself. Yeah. Or sometimes they just need something. You know, a shoulder or ear to cry in. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think two seven over the last. Couple deployments, man. Um, at least from the mid 2000s on, um, got pretty rough. Yeah. Um, I was reading. Um, I was reading an article in, in Marine Corps Times that said two seven had the highest suicide rate out of all the military. Yeah, and that's embarrassing. Um, I agree, but at the same time, it's. Where's the lack of communication, right? Mm -hmm. What happened? How come nobody's checking on your brother? How come you're not checking on, you know? You know, everybody had that group of, and nobody wants to mention it, right? But there are cliques within the military, within your squad, within your platoon. Everybody knows this. But you let somebody fuck with that person that only you or your friends fuck with, it's on. Exactly. And I, I really think that mentality should have been brought over. 
like once you get up just because you you know you and this guy didn't get along or you could pick on this guy or you know vice versa you know, just step on him dude that's that's all it takes and that's it yeah i think a lot of it's pride pride or or yeah. the feeling of nothing numbness mm-hmm. you know um the guys have been to battle been to war you know it's just you get so used to the constant uh, constant battle constant death constant injury blood violence that everything associated with war you become used to it so you kind of become numb to it and so when they're in this bottomless pit and they don't feel like there's any way out you know death isn't isn't personal you know to somebody who's been to the combat been to war you know as, as we all know you're patrolling in the morning your best friend in your mate gets killed, well, go home, or you go back to the camp, base, cop, whatever it is you're at, pack his shit up, and well, guess what? Even time comes, you got another patrol to go on. That's right. And so you're forced just to shove that shit in the back of your head, whatever, you know, emotions or, or you know, mental, whatever emotions or um, shit you're dealing with over what you saw earlier that day, you know, you're forced to shove in the back of your brain because... You know, you still have you still have a job to do. You still have a, a mission to accomplish. So you're not allowed to, you know, be emotional. You're not allowed to, you know, to show weakness. I guess as as right. we could call it. And so I think when you when you get back to the states, you know, they they feel like they're being weak. And so you know, I'm like, fuck it. I'll just I'll just kill myself. There's nothing personal. It's just I'm being I'm being fucking weak, and I, you know, I can't get help. So I know I I completely agree. I just. With watched or not watched but uh, I was around when one of my best friends got shot and then I saw one of our junior Marines get killed mm-hmm. right in the back of the Humvee you know I mean five six feet away from me right once we were done with everything you know everything was set we were, we were back at base um, me and my good friend had to clean out the back of that Humvee and this is probably four, three, four, five in the morning, somewhere in there. And, you know, you can say what you want, but dude, me and him just started bawling crying. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's, there is a time and a place for everything. And, and I think people misconstrue that by not, it's not, people aren't telling you not to feel. It's just don't feel people. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people, you know, misconstrue that definitely. So when we were actually kind of alone, we had the Humvee kind of up on a bank, and we, we had a water hose out there, and we were spraying out, you know, blood and bone and everything else. And we kind of just looked at each other and fuck. And then we just both broke down at the same time. I got lucky. Some people don't have that. You know, you, you don't get to share that with somebody. Yeah. And that is a very, you know, emotional and personal thing. And... You know, to be honest, dude, I, I thank God every day that I was allowed to, to have that moment with him. Yes. Because if I didn't, things may have turned out completely fucking different. I may be dead today. Absolutely. Who, who knows? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Just from that, you know, minute, two minutes in time, probably saved both of us. Wow. That's touching. Absolutely touching. But, and, and it's stuff like that that, a lot of people just don't understand that unless you've been there, done that. Right. 
you know, when I was in Afghanistan, um, we had, we lost 20 Marines, uh, 18 killed by explosions and, and two killed by gunfire. And I personally zipped up, you know, five of those, five of those body bags and the sound, the man, the hollowing sound of that fucking zipper on that black bag is something I'll never forget. And, and I, and one of our KIA, you know, he got burned real bad and to the point where one of his arms was kind of stuck up like stiff. And I felt, and I felt so bad for feeling this way that I was scared to touch him. You know, this was my brother, my friend. Y'all just spent 10 months or nine months in combat with this dude. And I felt so bad. I was, you know, scared to touch him that that, that probably fucked me up feeling scared to touch him more than you know his death did right. you know this is my fucking brother but i was scared to touch him but you know you know we, we literally had to you know push his arm down to, to be able to zip the bag up and, and that that feeling like i said fucked me up more than anything else you know this, this was a this, you know this guy just gave his life for his country so why the fuck did, was i scared to touch him so yeah, I, it, it was weird for me to feel that way. So you said that was in what uh, 05, right? That was. Were you still in Iraq with two seven then? No, I didn't get the two seven until uh, December of 06. Okay. No, no, December of 07. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that was Afghan. My first appointment with two seven was Afghanistan, two thousand eight. So where else did you deploy, um, you know, in your whole career? I know you said Iraq and mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Where at specifically? Um, Iraq 04 was in Al-Qaim. And then, and then uh, as 05 came around, we were in Husayba, which is on the Syrian border just south of the Euphrates River. Yep. And then 2007, I was in Korean Village. What? The nearest base was Korean Village, but I was there to train Iraqi policemen for a year. So we lived with the Iraqi police in a town called Rutba. And then Afghanistan was in a small, small, tiny town called Balabaluk. Uh, we had command outposts, just marine uh, platoon-sized camps. So our nearest friendliest was about a four-and-a-half-hour drive, two-hour east. So we were pretty much in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. And then in 2010, I was a partial deployer for the 31st MU. Wow. So you got to go kind of uh, all over both, yeah. <laughs> both sides there, man, both campaigns. And I was just, uh, had just enough time on my contract. You know, we flew into Okinawa. was there you know, was a couple of weeks, and we hopped on a ship and went to Thailand, you know, Philippines, Singapore, and then back to Okinawa. We got back to Okinawa. Um, I stayed there about two weeks and flew back to you know, California. While the rest of the unit went and did their training up Mount Fiji and all that stuff. And so I, I missed all that training and got all the liberty. Wow, yeah. Uh, so when um, all that kicked off and, and everybody started going over there um, with 2-7, that's what I was with. We, we actually went over to um, Okinawa, and we were only supposed to be there for six months. 
and we were trying to be, I guess the, the intention was for us to be the readiness force, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever they gave the command, we were supposed to jump on a plane, fly to Germany, and then fly to Kuwait, and then invade. Right? Yeah. I, I'm assuming that was the whole plan. Or at least somebody's plan, right? Right, exactly. Um, didn't quite work out that way. We actually ended up getting ex extended, and we were in Okinawa for a year. Oof. Yeah. That sucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were at uh, Camp Schwab. Yep. Um, which, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a beautiful place. We got to go swim and everything else. You know, I mean, it's just beautiful. We got to go up to, um, what was that? Uh, uh, Nagano. We went snowboarding up in Nagano. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. You know, we got to go to Tokyo. We got to go. To, to mainland there and uh, train with the um, Japanese Marines and to Korea and all this fun stuff. But little did we know, you know, within those six months, we'd be sitting in Iraq for the next, what was it, nine, ten months. Yeah. In there. So we, we had kind of forgot about what was happening on that side of the world because we were having such a good time over there in Japan and Korea. Yeah, it's a hell of a vacation place, ain't it? Oh, dude, it was beautiful. I, I mean, especially at Schwab, we, we were, what, 100, 200 yards from, from the beachhead? Yeah. Uh, you walk out there and go snorkeling, swimming. You know, that's like a, a paid vacation you're on. You know, people spend thousands of dollars to, to do exactly what you, know, what you and everybody else did. Yeah, we get to do it for free. You got paid, yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Loved it, man. We played a lot of Halo in the barracks, too. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, of drinking, a lot of Halo. That's it. Beer bonging. Oh, dude, big time, yeah. But um, you know, once we once we trans transitioned to Iraq, um, we ended up in Al Assad. Yeah. Al Assad Air Base. Yep, I've so, been there several times. Yeah, a lot of places you're talking about. Um, at least I've been through there. Oh um, four. Seems like forever ago. It does. Um, <laughs> Fifteen years ago. Yeah, man, it's, it's been a while. So, you know, I really do wish, you know, the best for those people. You know, because a lot of people didn't ask for all that. A lot of people were put in those positions and pressured into, you know, by the local militia, mm -hmm. um, local leaders and, and, and chiefs and stuff. And, you know, they'd have their family kidnapped or threatened. Yeah. You know, Pretty shitty place to be in. You're gonna dig this hole and you're gonna put this mortar around in there or this artillery around in there, or we're gonna kill your family. Oh, by the way, and you're gonna stay there and, and blow the next American troops that could be by. We had, uh, I got pictures I can share with you sometime, but um, there's pictures of where you know this guy was on the side of the road digging. Same thing, same exact scenario you just you just said. Dude had no business doing anything. On the side of the road, digging for, you know, 155. Guy, you know, um, wires it up wrong. Mm. Half of them ends up on the car. The other half of them ends up out in the desert. Yep. You know, my, I, I, I found that same thing when I do in the uh, anti-piracy gig, you know. A lot of them, uh, a lot of those poor guys are just, you know, fishermen. Oh, you get, well, guess what? We're going to hold your family hostage. And after, you know, 45 days, we're going to kill them if you don't bring us money from a, a vessel. You know, they're given a, a shitty boat, and they're given 
rusted you know, AK-47s and some functional, some not functional, but and then they give them a rope. There you go. Right. Go float out in the ocean until you find a vessel that you can you know, take hostage, bring it back to us. And, but but everybody wants to bitch about America and how, you know, our you know, our country's falling apart or, you know, their student loans aren't paid for or you know, their health you know, they got paid for health care. They're not, you know, all this bullshit. Dude, personally on all that, I just believe that people have gotten really fucking lazy and mm-hmm. they're too afraid to work, put their head down and work for their family and for themselves anymore. Yeah. That's just a personal belief, but makes sense. That's where I'm at with that. Makes sense. So, uh, segue into something else here. So, after you got in the Marine Corps and you know you transitioned back into civilian life and you know became a police officer, um, what else do you do? I own a company called Belt Fed Apparel. Um, man, it's kind of funny how I got started. I wanted a General Mattis shirt back before, you know, he got all cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he's always been fucking cool, but. Oh, he was all, dude, always. So, he was in uh, Oakley with us. Yeah. So this was probably about 2015-ish. I wanted a General Mattis shirt. So I go online, and I don't like fucking nothing I see. So my buddy's like, why don't, you, why don't we just make your own General Mattis shirt? Roger that. So he has this program, and we pull up a picture of General Mattis I like, and we start pulling and, you know, layers back and forth until we finally get an image I like. I send that image to his online company, paid way too much money for get one shirt made, got it back, loved it. So did everybody else. So then I got the bright idea, well, I'm making a little money doing this. So I did uh, some pre-order sales on these General Mattis shirts, and um, it did well, and, and then to the point where I happened to you know, do the pre-order sales all the time, so then, I, you know, I got the bright idea. Well, let me make a little bit more money and save some money, and I'll just start ordering the shirts wholesale and get them printed myself. Then I had a second design, then a third design, and then, you know, next thing I know it, I got, I don't know, 35, 40 different designs now with, with most of those online at beltfedapparel.com. And everything's pro-America, pro-military, pro-gun, pro-veteran, you know. So, yeah, everything's... Um, you know, these American-made products, and everything's made right here in Texas. And yeah, man, it's uh, it's fun. It started as a hobby, and this past, definitely this past year, it's grown tremendously. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see where it's gonna go. I mean, I, I can say personally, you know, I got I got my two seven uh, company shirt from you. You know, and I even messaged you like, "Holy shit, this is awesome!" Yeah. Because, you know, you were telling me the whole story about that. And I don't want to tell your story. I'll let you tell your story. But there's there's a whole story behind that design, which is um, it's, it's pretty fucking awesome. Yep. It's been fun, though, man. It's uh, it's definitely gone further than I ever expected it to go. Because, you know, it, just, it was just a shirt I wanted. And now, you know, I'm selling, I don't know how many shirts a month, but it, it's ridiculous how... Just a simple idea has turned into something that's now, you know, making money. That's awesome, man. You know, plus it's, you know, you're a guy from 2-7, you know, you're a vet, a combat vet. I mean, dude, I don't know if you can uh, stack the cards you know, for you any more <laughs> than that, man. Plus, you're a police officer, everything else, dude. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's great. It's, it's working for now. 
Well, that's good, man. You know, I'm glad you're able to, you know, hell, even if you're able to pay for gas for a couple of weeks, yeah. that, you know, it's, it's well worth it. You know, it's just that's something it. you, you enjoy and you, and you love. That's great, man. And I'm getting a lot of love from um, the Texas, Texas country music artists. So in Texas, we have what we call Texas country. It's our own country music artists who are mm-hmm. dedicated, like, like stand independent or, or not falling into that Nashville style of music where you got to have skinny jeans and a beard and drink a latte, you know? And, yeah. and so I have a lot of support from those guys. I support them. They support me. Um, I have, I have a big supporter, uh, Josh Ward, uh, C- um, Cody Johnson, Aaron Watson, Scott Brown, Scooter Brown band. You know, it's great to see those guys, you know, w- without having to beg them, without having to remind them, hey, wear some belt fed stuff. Remember, I gave you a whole bunch of them. Now, these guys wear it because they want to. You know, I remember one time I, I told Josh Waters, hey, I said, hey, brother, thanks for putting on my shirt when you did that interview. You know, and that interview's been viewed 40,000 times or whatever the case may be. And he's like, man, I, I didn't put your shirt on for the interview. I just I wear your shirt all day, every day. I love, I love your stuff. And then, uh, you know, Cody Johnson, you know, he's, he's killing it right now. And he, Memorial Weekend, he wore two of my shirts all weekend long. It was seen you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And so I, it, it, the brand's getting love, and I think because I have a good uh, good message, message behind the brand. I think you do as well. And so that, that helps out a lot. I love it, brother. That's, that's awesome, man. The fact that you've got, you know, some of these, you know, upcoming and then bigger country stars wearing this stuff is a it's a huge thing yeah yeah you know whether it's you know money in your pocket or just you know happiness in your heart man that's all that matters as long as you are enjoying it that's all that matters i'm, I'm definitely enjoying it man um right now it's more for for happiness um you know the first couple of years you know the business was you know, barely making it along you know barely making enough to pay for itself and and this past uh, eight, six, eight, ten months, you know, the business is finally growing. Um, I'm finally making a little bit more profit, and, and which leads to the uh, the business expanding and, and more marketing, more growing, more products. And so, I'm excited to see where it's going to go. It's a, it's a fun adventure, and uh, you know, I love supporting these music guys. Also, you know, these guys are just like us. You know, we're I consider myself a small town guy, you know, small town kid, and went to the Marine Corps and did what I felt was right for, for my country, or, you know, at least from now I'm a cop, so I feel like I'm doing what's right for my, my community. These guys are doing the same thing. Most of these guys are small-time guys, you know, doing what they feel is right in their heart. You know, they're following what they feel is right in their, you know, they're following their own path. And so it's great, you know, I support them, they support me, so we kind of go hand-in-hand. And so, uh, yeah, man, who knows where it's going to go, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm an avid hunter and fisher, hunter and fisherman, and so I would I would be interested in, in doing like a uh, military music type hunt where there's a a military member, a veteran, and also a uh, musician on the hunt together, and they're talking about how their experiences relate to each other's. Per, you know, how my ex- combat experience relates to whatever experience you dealt with in the music industry, and how. Uh, how our stories have came together and our, our paths have crossed. You know? I think that'd be interesting. Well, there is a, um, a company out there. It's called uh, Project Healing Waters. Now, this is more of the fishing side of stuff. And um, I had uh, the 
personal pleasure of meeting one of their representatives. His name is Kyle Schimitz. And uh, he lives here in, in Virginia. Uh, I live in Roanoke, Virginia. And, uh, man, I, you know, after talking to that guy, that guy is nothing but a straight fly fisherman. Yeah. And he, I'm going to have him on the show next week. I'm, I'm going to record him. And, uh, man, I tell you, you know, he, he went from the Army and going through quite a bit of trauma to fly fishing. You know, that's all he does, build flies, make flies, give he goes to the local VA, the VFW. Um, oh, that's all he does. You know, he teaches people how to make flies and go fly fishing. You know, he even invited me out, and he's sponsored by Orvis and a couple other companies. They're they're all about it. And he was actually um, not too long ago. He was actually flown down to um, Key West and went fly fishing uh, with a pro deep sea fisherman. Nice. And they recorded a whole episode based on that. That's awesome. There are stuff out there, man. But the hunting stuff, I'm not 100% sure about. The fishing bro, stuff, I'm, you want that, brother? I, I got a guy for you. I'm working, well, I'm working on both sides of it, man. Um, I have been blessed with some amazing hunting and fishing opportunities. Uh, just this past March, I flew to Florida, and I shot uh, sniper rifles up to th- uh, 1,300 yards. And then went dove, uh, no, not dove, went quail and pheasant hunting with Donald Trump Jr. Oh my God, dude. Did you, uh, let me back up on that one second. Was that a 6.5 Creedmoor you were shooting? We were shooting, yeah, we were shooting a 6.5 Creedmoor, yes. And we had, we had a 308 with us. Love it. Love it. And you got to go with Junior? Man, I'm. So that. That hunt. You go. You give me a call, man. I'll make it happen. Well, we may be we may be going again uh, here in Texas this year. Mm. So mm. we're kind of kind of playing it by ear. And then I have I'm, I've become really good friends with two organizations. One's called Oath, and the other one's called Wounded Warrior Outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I normally do uh, one hunt a year with, with with each company. Last year I killed a beautiful whitetail buck. That was sponsored by Oath. And then next month, I'm going in August. I'm going for 10 days to Alaska fly fishing with Wounded Warrior Outdoors. And and I think, you know, getting together with a group of like-minded veterans once a year for, you know, three to four or five, or in my case next month, for 10 days is, man, it, it brings me back down. It it's, it's a blessing. It is an absolute blessing. A couple of years ago, I went on a uh, 10-day whitewater adventure to, down the Colorado River. We were actually on the river for like five or six days. There's no electronics. You know, we're cooking our food. We're camping on the beach. And that disconnect from civilization was – I needed it more than I thought I did. I was, mm. I was you know, I agreed to go because, you know, all my, my – my squad was going from – you know, a lot of my squad members going from Afghanistan – and uh, I wasn't as excited to go, but, you know, I was like, man, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I ain't seen these guys. They're begging me. And after it was all said and done, I was like, my Lord, I needed that. It was like a refresher. It's like my internal battery had been charged up, and I was at 100%. Man, that's, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, Kyle has, has uh, invited me out. He's been gracious enough to. You know, give me a rod reel and everything, and, and go out and fly fishing with him. So I'm I'm looking forward to that because 
Um, it's been a very long time since I've had that just alone time. Mm -hmm. Not only just alone time, just alone time with you know somebody else that's like minded. So um, I'm very much looking forward to that this fall. It's it's needed. Um, I tell I tell every veteran I can. I try, you know, I have a dealer lease about an hour and a half from my house. I'm like, brother, if you need to disconnect for a night or a day and just leave the cell phones in the truck, man, we'll, we'll take some rifles out there and you know, thermals, night vision. You know, we we'll do whatever we got to do. Just disconnect for a while and, and, and go shoot some pigs or go hunt or go try to stalk on a deer. Just do something. Get away from electronics. Get away from any interferences that you may have and just enjoy mother nature so that's uh that's you know some do yoga some i don't know race cars whatever i, I hunt and fish and i like you know building old trucks but that's expensive well hey man as long as you love it and you enjoy it that's all that matters it yeah expensive or cheap or you know other people clown on it, it doesn't matter as long as it makes you happy that's it i agree i agree on that well well i appreciate your time man and i'm gonna go ahead and end with that uh right, so if you got anything you want to talk about or a plug or whatever go for it man no man i think i, I plugged everything um <laughs> i plugged wounded warrior outdoors and i plugged oath and so plugged belt fed apparel so i think i'm, I'm good on my plugs Brother, I appreciate your time. All right, man. Definitely appreciate your service. And, and thanks, yeah, thanks for coming on here, man. Yes, sir. If there's anything else you need, man, be sure to let me know. Will do. Thanks, All right. Thank you, sir.